Hello. Thank you for tuning in to my podcast. I'm Sheila, and I've written four books about us, my family, a mini odyssey over four seasons about how we, as an ordinary family, are tackling the environmental catastrophe that we have found ourselves in. My books are addressed and primarily written to my great-great-grandchildren, part apology, and hopefully to tell them what we have tried to make right. It is many-faceted with descriptions of our daily routines, recipes, remedies, green cleaning, alternative, and a unique Christian perspective of approaching the problem as one family. It may appeal to a variety of listeners. Have a listen and see what you think. Letters to my great-great-grandchildren. Summer into Autumn, Book 1. Genesis chapter 1, verses 25 to 30. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. August the 22nd, 2017. Dear great-great-grandchildren, this is primarily the story of us and how we live our lives. I wanted to write to you in the future, to send a message of hope to you, love and warning if it is not too late. I have always tried to live my life, certainly since being a very young woman, in the best way that I could for the environment. In some things I've been successful, in others I've been lazy and thoughtless, and in too much of a hurry to pluck the day, or as they say in Latin, carpe diem. I almost always have a guilty conscience if I do something that may be bad for the environment. But having a conscience is not good enough for me particularly in hindsight, looking at the position that we are in environmentally today. Of course, I am not responsible alone for what is happening. It is a collective thing. Each and every one of us has played our part. We have all been waiting for someone else to do something or for someone to start a movement. Movements have begun and ended and it hasn't been the answer. What is needed is a silent movement in each and every one of us inspired by something primal and eternal. First, about me. I live in the south of England with my partner David and our children Carla, Marshall, Rosie and Jonty David and I both have older children by previous relationships. I have Timothy and Leah. David has Joel and Anna. And we have our other son, who now lives away from home, Tom. We have always been a vegetarian household, although David would always take advantage of an evening out to indulge himself by eating meat, which was his preference before meeting me. But David has recently become a vegan, quite something for David, who has gone from omnivore to veganism in one fell swoop. At present, the children are still vegetarians, as they are reluctant to give up their milk and eggs. And I am an egg-eating vegetarian, but I don't eat milk or dairy, drink milk or dairy products. We consider our eggs to be ethical eggs, as we rescue the eggs, hens from slaughter, after they were used in extensive egg production farming. When they arrived, they had hardly any feathers. Their combs were almost white, and they just did not know what to do with their new home. 
The space they now had was too much, and for a few days they stood huddled in a corner until their chicken instinct clipped back in. Over months with good food, not designed for maximum egg production, and with the addition of extra vitamins and minerals, they grew more feathers and their cones became bright red. They began a primal memory revival and started to learn the things that chickens should need to learn and what chicken behaviour should be. Helped mostly by Mrs Dewhurst. Who is Mrs Dewhurst, I can hear you asking? Nine years ago, we bought a flock of point-of-lay chickens. These chickens came to us having been bred under normal circumstances and ready to start laying. They lasted all these years until half the flock got attacked by Mr Fox. The chickens were all free-ranging everywhere then. They now have a large compound protected by an electric fence. Gradually the rest die, leaving Mrs Dewhurst, a beautiful, proud hen who rules the roost. Mrs Dewhurst has taught the rescued chickens how to behave like chickens, and they respect her and wouldn't dare to stand up to her. They seem to know that they owe her a lot. As well as our chickens, we try to grow a lot of our own food, and as a vegetarian household, with two new vegans, our vegetables are important to our diets. We have two allotments and grow most of our food to eat during the summer months and to preserve and store some for the winter. Two years ago, David and I won Best Allotment Award in our town, much to our surprise and great delight. We were allowed a beautiful silver cup to keep at home for a whole year. Eventually, David proudly had our names engraved on it before we gave it back. The allotment world is unique. It brings together people from all walks of life. And we have made many new friends, swapping plants, tips and ideas. And at the end of the season, we all have a big bonfire and have a fun evening. The manager of the allotment site and I each make a large vat of soup from the vegetable we grow. And Tess goes across the road to our com- their community support programme, supply us with all the bread rolls that we need. David forms a band for the evening with one or two of his musical friends. They call themselves the Brassica Brothers, just for the evening. One of the other allotment owners managed to find a huge green and white striped awning which she was going to cut up and use for a polytunnel, but graciously held it back to be used for our yearly bonfire night to celebrate the harvest that we had gathered from all of our individual plots. We love our world and all the beauty and wonder of it, and we have always tried to live sustainably, recycling what we can, upcycling, donating to, and using our local Sioux Rider, Oxfam and other charities. Recently, we went to the Abbey in North Devon for our annual holiday. The speakers there were Andy Lester and Andy Atkins, who work for Our Rocha, a well-known environmental group. Arrocha is Portuguese for the rock, and Portugal is where the movement began. We as a family, although aware of the problems facing our planet, were still shocked at some of the figures we were shown, which I will share with you later. In short, I came home, determined to write this book and to try to start a silent movement in the hearts and minds of every family who may be interested to read this simple journal of hope. Along the way, I should tell you about our family and the way that we live, 
and even more importantly, how we are going to endeavour to live in a better, more sustainable way. I can hear you saying, not another movement. Believe me when I say that on this issue there cannot be too many movements. The appalling truth is our lovely blue and green orb in the sky is truly losing its life's blood. As far as we know, there is nothing that can compare with our beautiful planet and the amazing diversity of life which inhabits it. And yet some people believe that if we don't act now, we may only have a hundred years left. If we stop behaving as we have, and each of us in our own little corner of this world change the way we live for the better, it will take 40 years or so to repair our broken and failing planet. However you feel about this, a hundred years seems a long time away, but it will go all too soon, and life for all living things will gradually become unsustainable, very uncomfortable, and finally impossible. The devastating truth is that it is in the lifetime of our great-grandchildren. How close is that? What sort of life will they have to live? What legacy will they be leaving them? That is why I've decided to write this for them, my great-great-grandchildren, in an attempt to paint a picture of what life is like now and what it was like in our grandparents' days. You will notice at the beginning of this book, that I have written two scriptures. They are from the creation story in the Bible, where God states what he has provided for us to eat and what he has provided for the animals for food. In Genesis 2, verse 18, he goes on to explain the sort of relationship that we should have with the animals he has created. In the Living Bible, it uses the word companions. In the creation story, God says he looked at his creation and saw that it was good. Andy Atkins said at the Abbey, God was pleased with his creation. He loved it. He made it perfect. Now look what we have done to it. We are cutting down the lungs of our planet at an alarming rate to use the land for rearing beef. We are losing species of flora and fauna at an equally alarming rate. And like lemmings, we are sleepwalking to the edge of a precipice. All this sounds so grim. But if we act now, and we do all do our bit at home, work and play, if we plan more thoroughly how we will travel, how we will eat, what we will wear, etc., it needn't be too late. And you know, it can be fun.